today on Ag News Daily. Almost every time a pickup truck sees what we're doing, stops, turns around, comes back to check out, you know, you chat with somebody and tell them what it is. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Tuesday afternoon, and it's, gosh, already starting to get dark. I'm joined here by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm not too bad, Mike. I've been on the road all day, so we're cutting the podcast a little later than we usually do. Absolutely, but we've got a good reason because you've been on the road talking mm-hmm. to growers. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you learned from the field today? Sure. Well, I I was speaking to a group of producers near Waterloo, Iowa, kind of northeastern Iowa, and going to talk to another group tomorrow in that same general vicinity, but talking about kind of the trade scene, what's coming up on the docket here for 2000, end of 2018 and beginning of 2019 and on into the future. And, you know, we talked a little bit about acreage, and a lot of those guys that I talked to kind of during lunch and then after again um, said, you know, they're really – a very strict corn soybean rotation, a lot of corn on corn guys. They're not probably going to change up their rotation because of what's going on in commodity prices and on the trade scene altogether. Well, that's interesting. You know, I, I huh? I, that that always surprises me. I would have figured we'd have we'd see more corn on corn ground going into place here in Iowa, or at least in places where they've got rich enough soil to sustain it. But at the same time, you know, costs go up so much, maybe it just doesn't quite pencil out to make that switch with yeah. beans on a nice little rally here. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a lot of news coming out today. I want to kick it off here. I just saw this pop up not too long ago, actually, on my drive home and popped into my inbox. But uh, Which you didn't read, of course, no. until you were safely home or exactly. parked for gasoline. Yep, exactly right. But uh, one of the things we talked a little bit about today and Things that you and I have covered pretty frequently and a lot of producers are still curious about are these farmer trade assistance packages. And it looks like we've got confirmation from sources close to the White House. Reuters reported just today that the Office of Management and Budget is trying to delay or is going to delay the second round of trade payments, saying that they have hope that we're going to see a trade deal come out here before the end of the year, and they're not too keen to spend money on things that they consider, I guess, not useless but not worthwhile for them. So they're really trying to hold off on that until the end of December now. Yeah, you know, I read this, and I was really surprised. Basically, they're waiting for China to buy some soybeans and to see mm-hmm. if that pops another, you know, 30 to 40 cents onto this market, puts us over those recent highs. And I tell you what, Delaney, this just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, it kind of does me too. Because, you know, this trade assistance package is designed to help with 2018 marketing. Well, the 2018 crop year, you know, it, we're in the eighteen nineteen crop year now, mm-hmm. the eighteen. You know, price season is over. We've seen huge hits. We had to have guys selling right off the combines mm-hmm. at the depths of these harvest lows. That's where this money was supposed to come in and assist to now punt it because China, oh, you know, they said immediately they're going to start buying soybeans. I don't know. I think this is a kind of a kick in the face to uh, to the farm constituency, and, and frankly, it, it bothers me. Yeah, and you know... Just discussing that a little bit more, since I was with a producer group today, I asked, you know, show of hands, how many of you guys have applied for this farmer assistance package? And I tell you what, probably three-fourths, if not 
90% of the room raised their hand saying that they had gone through the process of filling out the application and getting that well, money. That makes sense. If the money's there, go get it. I'm an avid proponent of when somebody gives you a cracker, you take the cracker. <laughs> That's nice. That should be written on like a postcard or something. Yes. Maybe it could be my epitaph. There you go. Um, I've got just an update here. Uh, the Trump administration, since we're re-talking things with China, you know, now the concern has been raised. Okay, what happens if China does commit more, you know, tech theft, more, mm -hmm. you know, industrial espionage, these kind of things? If you're waiving tariffs, if you're saying we're not going to use tariffs, what are you going to use? And they said that we are going to uh, respond using sanctions. Mm -hmm. against uh, sanctions against the country and the people involved and indictments mm. like we're seeing right now with the the daughter of the Huawei chief. Interesting. Yeah, bringing people to justice that way, which, in my opinion, was the way we maybe should have gone about this from the get-go, but they didn't ask me, so... No, I imagine not. No, no, maybe next year. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe they maybe they just heard my advice on the podcast and That's now they're it. going. Yes. Oh, that that is a better idea. That's what we ought to do. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's it. They were listening I to the Ag News Daily podcast. I'll put White House advisor on my resume. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Nice. What other news you got for us, Glenn? Oh, well, Mike, we've got some news for the farm bill. We had it come out last night. It was filed by filed and signed by both House Agriculture Committee members and Senate members. It is a and Delaney. Have you have you read it all? Was it a short, well, simple you know, document to understand? It's only it's only eight hundred and seven pages, Mike. <laughs> That's just a walk in the park. That's so absurd. I know. So let's uh, just talk briefly through here. There's a couple of big changes coming down the pipeline, or things that you might see impact your operations. A few of those key provisions will be a one-time chance in 2020 for producers who have experienced serious yield losses over the past year to update their yield data using the calculated price loss coverage benefits. Um, another one will be going on in 2019, 2021, 2022, and 2023. Farmers will be allowed to switch back and forth then between agriculture risk coverage and price loss coverage. Um, a lot of stuff about PLC and ARC payments are in there. Marketing loan rates would be increased by varying amounts. The rate for soybeans is going to rise by 24% from $5 a bushel to $6.20. Corn, the loan rate would rise from $2.20 a bushel to, or I'm sorry, it's going to raise up to $2.20 per bushel, which is currently sitting at $1.95. The wheat rate would get increased from $2.94 per bushel currently to $3.38, and payment limits on marketing loan gains and loan deficiency payments will be eliminated. The margin protection program is going to be overhauled completely and renamed the Dairy Margin Coverage Program to make it more attractive to smaller-scale producers, so those with production of 5 million pounds or less per year or the equivalency of 240 cows, um, premiums will be reduced even below the lower levels set by this year's budget agreement and producers, and the maximum coverage level would be raised from $8 per hundred weight to 950. 
Let's see. There's a couple of things. Oh, here's your favorite. CRP ground is going to expand from 24 million acres to 27 million acres with 2 million acres reserved for grasslands. Mm, pasture mm. ground, you mean. Mm-hmm. Pulling cows off of it. Yep. And so the biggest single priority item in terms of new programs is going to be a vaccine bank which was provided $150 million in guaranteed funding over the life cycle of this five-year bill. So that's probably going to go to things like foot and mouth disease, et cetera. And I think those are the big ones. Like I said, 807 pages. So there's a lot to definitely go through. But those are kind of some of the big ones that we've definitely been watching. Now, do we know when there is going to be a vote on this combined package? Have we had that announced yet? Good question. So it looks like the House, I believe, is supposed to vote on it as early as Thursday. And the Senate is probably not going to get it into uh, onto the floor until early next week, mid next week, late next week, next week, probably. Ooh, that is cutting it awful close. Senators get this done. Yeah. You're not going to give us our money for the second round of market facilitation payments. At least get the farm bill done. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Well, speaking of money, this has been an expensive year for forest fires. We've got an update on the California fires from Aon Impact Forecasting. They note that the campfire, mm-hmm. which is the, the big one that burned out there, destroyed the town of Paradise, California, killed 88 people. There are still dozens unaccounted for. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection said that 19,357 homes and other structures were damaged or destroyed, which makes the campfire the deadliest and most destructive on record in California. Basically, what they're saying is total losses for all of the fires that happened in the U.S. It's going to come to over $10 billion for the second year in a row. That is a huge, huge amount of devastation out there in predominantly rural parts of California. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look. I'm not going to read 807 pages of text, but I don't know what got put in the farm bill as far as like wildfire or disaster relief funding. I'm sure there's a clause in there about it, you know, maybe like 50 pages worth or something. Yeah, yeah, probably just just a quick footnote. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Around 50 pages. It's just absurd. Yeah. Well, what else you got for us, Delaney? Well, we were actually supposed to see a vote today on Tuesday by the UK Parliament on the British Prime Minister's plan to withdraw from the European Union. But last minute yesterday, she pulled that vote, saying she didn't think that she would see enough support and that it would be rejected by a significant margin, the the strategy basically to withdraw from the European Union. So she didn't give a timeline of the next vote or when she's going to reschedule that for. But as I understand it, I believe... Their uh, parliament also has to vote for it for them basically to move forward with it. Yeah, so we created a little bit more uncertainty out there mm-hmm. in Europe with what's going to happen with regard to Brexit. There was another decision, a I believe it was a high court in Brussels at the home of the EU, ruled that, hey, it would be okay if Britain wanted to have another referendum and change their mind about leaving the EU altogether. So there has been a very loud contingent of people in the in Great Britain pushing 
for another vote, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. But in the meantime, the markets are going to be a little bit on edge. Ooh, Mike, I literally have some breaking news for you that just popped up in my inbox. Are you ready for it? Fantastic. Yes, drop it on us. Okay, so the Senate actually has already overwhelmingly approved the new farm bill just earlier, I mean, just Uh moments ago. They must have heard me. Yes, they must have. So we're sending it to the House for a final vote on Thursday. The Senate passed it in an 87 to 13 margin, which is the largest victory for a farm bill in farm bill history. Interesting. Folks, we will do some more digging. We'll figure out who the 13 were that voted against it. I'll be interested (laughs) to read their statements and just hear, you know, why they were the holdouts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got some more news from D.C. Delaney, when you were growing up, let's say you were under 18, did you ever get paid for doing work on the farm? Yes, absolutely. I worked at a vineyard. You were a child laborer working in agriculture. Yep. So there is a new report that's been put together by the GAO, the Government Accountability Office. This has been um, uh, ordered to be put together by Representative Lucille Royball Allard, a Democrat from California, and Rep. Rosa DeLauro, a Democrat from Mm -hmm. Vermont. They are concerned about the 2.5 million U.S. children who work for wages, and they're particularly concerned about those in agriculture. What this report found is that fewer than 5.5% of working children in the U.S. worked on farms. However, the farm sector accounted for 50% of child labor fatalities. Mm. And just to put these numbers, you know, percentages always make it sound really terrible. Uh, From 2003 to 2016, 237 children died in farm-related work accidents, which is four times the number of deaths in any other sector. And I was thinking about this. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's because there were probably a lot more young people and children, of course, is anybody under 18 Mm -hmm. working in agriculture because they're working for their families as Mm -hmm. opposed to construction and mining or these other, you know, hazardous categories. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe part of that, too, it's interesting you are mentioning this because I was talking to a producer today at the meeting and I can't remember if he said it was his neighbor or his son or somebody had hired a high school aged kid that hadn't lived on a farm but lived in like a rural type of community. But they were just perplexed at his inability or inexperience and just no knowledge, lack of knowledge to um, herd hogs. And it's like, well, if you didn't if you weren't raised on a farm, you know, you wouldn't know a lot of these things that we consider common sense. But. Maybe, I mean, I wonder, does the report say anything about, you know, what percentage of these kids that are dying or having injuries related to agriculture? Are those like city kids that are coming to work on farms? Are those actual farm kids that are working on their family farms? It doesn't say. It just looks at children who were being paid to work Mm -hmm. in agriculture. So I'm sure there is a combination of both. I'm guessing, and this is just my hunch, it's overwhelmingly family members or, you know, immediate or distant family members who are doing work on a family operation. Mm -hmm. Here's why I think growers need to be prepared. The Child Labor Coalition, which is a group that helped put these statistics together, is very concerned that, quote, we allow children as young as 12 to work unlimited hours in agriculture despite its known dangers. What does that sound like to you, Delaney? Uh, PETA? It sounds like somebody who's going to try to change the way oh. farm work is done on an operation, doesn't it? Yeah, they like an like activist to, group. 
Right, like they'd like to crack down. So if you're currently employing your uh, your sisters or brothers or, or young uh, children, younger children on the farm, um, it, follow this. This could change the way you pay them, maybe perhaps the way you report wages. Maybe all of a sudden they're just not going to get paid for mm-hmm. the work they do on the farm, and it'll just be you know a family contribution. I don't mm-hmm. know. We need to be paying attention because this is the second time in six years that additional regulations have been proposed for uh, ag workers, particularly children. And uh, in 2012, it was dropped by the Obama administration after a lot of pushback. The ag ed, the ag uh, sector will probably have to do the same thing once we get a look at whatever rules and regulations are proposed by these two uh, representatives who put forward this report. Okay, well, speaking of Obama-era administrations, rules and regulations and whatnot, we've got WOTUS, finally, a new proposal dropped today from the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers. So the biggest thing, or the first thing, I guess, to mention is that the rule would be removed from federal oversight under the proposal released today. So it's going to remove those F Ephem how do you know how you say this word? Ephemeral streams? Ephemeral. Ephemeral, thank you. It's going to mm-hmm. remove the remove ephemeral streams. So those are the those are the streams that flow when rain falls from federal jurisdiction. Um and that's really the biggest one here. Um uh, besides switching it away from federal regulatory as well. Yes, and I thought this was interesting. I was reading through a couple of different websites and, and their take on this mm-hmm. new uh, new proposal for WOTUS. And on The Hill, which is a relatively nonpartisan uh, website that just reports yes. on legislation that's been passed, they had two articles talking about how the Trump administration was removing protections for wetland and endangering the drinking water of thousands of Americans due to this well, new proposal for WOTUS. And at no point did they talk about agriculture. At no point yeah. did they talk about construction and development. It was it was striking to me the way people from outside our industry regard this waters of the U.S. rule. Well, it was like before in the Obama era rule, like anything, like a puddle could be considered a water of the U.S. Like, how am I supposed yeah. to make sure a puddle in my yard or my right my road right, or that's whatever? That's not what's being reported on. Yeah, I know. The Trump administration is rolling back protections. It's We're casting America into the deep pits of muddy sewage-filled water for all of us to drink <laughs> in all eternity. I mean, it was they were yeah. two very uh, intentionally fear-mongery articles. Mm. It was uh, disappointing to read. Yeah, that is disappointing. Well, we don't have disappointing news in the markets today, except for wheat. Uh, Delaney, what do you say? Do you have any other news, or should we jump into markets? Let's jump into markets, Mike. All right, folks, our marks are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, get in touch with them, put that marketing plan to practice, and get it to use for you by giving them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. A little bit of strength in the corn market today. December contract up three quarters of a cent at 375 even. The March also up three quarters at 384 and three quarters. In the soybean market, January up five and a quarter. It closed today at 915. The March up five and a half to finish at 928 and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, the December was off five cents on the day at 509 and three quarters. 
quarters. The March was off four and a quarter, finished the day at 521 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got strength in the cattle complex. December live cattle up 80 cents, finished at 118.37.50. February up 95 cents, closed at 122.15. In feeder cattle, strong strength today. The January contract was up $2.27.5 at 147.30. The March up $2.15, finished at 144.90. And weakness in lean hogs. The December contract down 27.5 cents at 54.45. The February down $1.62.50 to finish at 65.20. And as we take a look at the dairy market, we had strength today in the December contract. We were up six cents at thirteen seventy one, with the January up twenty two cents on the day to close at fourteen oh three. Without further ado, let's kick it over for our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we're going to be talking about some interesting drone technology we've got going on. I've got Michael Ott on the line, who is the CEO for Rantizo. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Give me the 10,000-foot view of what you guys do and also the background of how you got started in this space. Sure. So we are creating a drone spraying platform for agriculture, looking at initially spot spraying and then getting to swarms for larger areas. So what we do is gather images from fields, understand what the problems are, And then we have a proprietary crop chemical matrix where we know a lot of the major pests and the chemicals used to treat them. And then we can autonomously send a drone out there to spray and uh, and solve the problem. So the whole thing that we're solving for is the labor issue in agriculture. So trying to do things as autonomous and hands-free as possible. So with... I guess, break it down for me then. If I were a producer interested in your products, would I be buying a drone from you? Would I be buying the software from you? Uh, Yeah, we're going to be selling the whole platform. And we're we're a young company, so we're still getting everything developed and worked out. Uh, Initially, we're going to be selling some products, mostly to high-value producers. And then uh, eventually, we want to be selling the service to commodity growers. That's That's our strategy as we're rolling out. We're seeing a tremendous amount of interest, especially on the high-value side, where people have spraying issues that they can't really address with current technology. So hilly ground, um, things that you you can't drive a tractor into, um, uh, or situations like blueberries where once you plant them, they're in the ground for 15 years, and we can set up an automated route. And once it's set up, it's ready to go for you know, for as long as is needed. So, so situations like that. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So will it be applicable or does it make sense to use this type of solution for the large scale row crop farmers, the 2000 plus acre guys, or is this something that's maybe for, focused more on smaller specialty crops at the moment? And then you're going to grow that to scale. Yeah, eventually we're going to get to scale when we'll have larger drones, the ability to have swarming technology. And the thing that we do that that is different from most is we use electrostatic spray. So with that, we put a charge on the liquid, which it all has the same charge, so it repels itself, which is good for a lot of reasons. It wraps around the stems and leaves. And that makes the uh, the chemical stay where it, where it's supposed to be, so it reduces drift. Also, 
with that, we can coat very lightly and very evenly. Our minimum is one ounce per acre that we can spray. Uh, typically, a lot of agrochemicals are sprayed about a pound per acre. So that's the rates that we want to be at. Um, so uh, with that, we don't need all the water that is normally required. We can still spray at the same rate, but without water. So that's what makes drone-based spraying feasible at larger areas. Um, so doing that initially and then getting to multiple units that can do that and then multiple units that have some alternative power systems that can stay in the air for a long time, that's what's going to be needed to get to those 2,000-acre uh, farms that are out there. So long long uh, answer to that question, but it, it, <laughs> it, it takes a little bit to get to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, I want to clarify a point. You keep mentioning swarming technology. Break that down for me. Sure. What is that? Sure. So that is one operator with multiple units in the air. So currently you've got one pilot, one drone, and we do all autonomous flights. So our pilots, once they get it set up, truly push the button, watch it to make sure that everything does what it's intended to do, and then pick it up when it comes back. So that's uh, when you're able to do that, you could have multiple of those up in the air. There's some permitting things and there's some uh, technology to, to make sure that all that works as, as advertised. And that's really what we're developing. That's, that's the exciting thing for us that will need to be uh, in place to get this scale. And that's happening right now. So uh, it's going quite well. And we're also able to get into situations where traditional sprayers cannot. Uh, for example, after a rainstorm, uh, it's way too muddy to, to to get any heavy equipment in the field. And we had a customer where we were able to land. We basically put a pallet out, and that was our target. So we all landed on the pallet. Everyone was covered in mud. Your boots were covered in mud. The truck was covered in mud. But the drone stayed up above it all and was able to fly and spray in that situation. Uh, we did a similar one where we landed on the road nearby and just kind of used that as a base going back and forth. So in those pinch times where you've got to spray, but it's been raining for a week and you can't get any heavy things in there, we've got solutions that'll work. Michael, drone technology has been in the ag space for quite a while now. Is no other company, I mean, I feel like there are other companies that are doing similar things to this. Are there, or are you guys kind of pioneering the way in spray, drone-based spray technology? Most of the drone companies are image gathering, and there's there's value in that. But what we're seeing is that producers are awash in data, and they don't have much information. If you know between data, like there's a lot of interesting things to see, but information is is, is valuable. So what we want to do is team up with people that can process that and use uh, what we know to actually solve a problem. So that's the thing that I really think differentiates us is that we can take data and then turn that into a viable solution. Um, so when it comes to, to doing that, I think we're definitely a leader in vision and we're, we're getting there with our technology and the software and everything else to make it run. Eventually what we want to be doing is using electrostatic spray with agrochemicals and cartridges and have it fully autonomous. So we're, we're pretty ahead of the curve on that one. And we're having tremendous feedback from people that need it on their farm, 
that want to sell it as a as a franchisee or that want to understand more about the technology. It's been it's been a lot of fun fielding all these incoming calls and emails. Oh yeah, I bet. And I want to touch a little bit more on the electrostatic spray. You mentioned sure. kind of how that works already, but this is something that I'm not familiar with. Are other people in the industry doing this or have you guys I guess again, sure. are you so, guys pioneering this this type of spraying as well? Yeah, we're out ahead of the curve on this one. Um, so most electrostatics, people are familiar with them in like painting applications, and in that situation, you charge the spray and you charge the target, and it works really well because all everything that you spray just goes right to the target and coats it really evenly. That is awesome if you can plug into the wall and you can charge. And, and you can charge your target. What we're doing is a little bit different. We're charging the liquid, and that's valuable for a couple reasons. One, it's super low power. We we can power our sprayer with four AA batteries. That's so it's very light. And when you're up in a drone, weight is a major concern. Second, when the charge is already on the liquid as it's coming out, it's trying to get away from itself because we know light charges repel. So we need a very low power pump, which is also excellent for a drone situation. So we're a little bit different than the traditional electrostatic spray, and those differences are quite important when it comes to the delivery vessel that we're using. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So, Michael, can producers listening buy this? Is this out on the market for commercial purchase yet, or are you guys still in the testing phase? We're still in the testing phase. We're doing some paid trials, and um, and they, they, it worked really well. Uh, we had a situation where they were too close to an airport, so an airplane couldn't fly. They had a caterpillar problem, and they couldn't drive through. And then uh, none of the employees would use backpack sprayers because the spray that they were using made everyone's lips go numb. So we were able to come in and uh, load it on our drone sprayer, and go right over the top of it, and, and it worked out really well. So those one-off things that are more high value we're able to do right now. Uh, we want to have products that are available uh, in October of 2019. Oh, awesome. Okay, so maybe uh, the next growing season producers can expect to start seeing stuff like this roll out for, for exactly. them to use. Exactly, Awesome. And it, it's really fun for us as we get out there and we're doing – trials and, and working on things and putting things together almost every time uh, you know a pickup truck sees what we're doing stops turns around comes back to check out you know you chat with somebody and tell them what it is and it's, it's pretty fun to have those conversations and you hear them saying i've always wanted to do this this seems like such a cool idea i didn't know how it could work and then you explain it and they're like oh that makes sense like i'd like to try that so we're having pretty good feedback which is which is a lot of fun yeah i bet i bet growers are very excited to get their hands on this technology now i know you guys don't have it out yet for commercialization producers can't yet buy it but michael do you have a price point in mind for when you do release this product what the full package is approximately going to cost for producers well we don't have that to release just yet i do know that we're going to be able to be significantly cheaper on a per acre basis um, just because of the, the lower cost in our equipment, the, the lower labor especially, 
And then we'll have lower chemical usage as well because if you're spot spraying, you only need to spray, say, a third to a quarter of, of the field. So we'll be able to get a lot of coverage at a, at a cheaper price, but I can't currently give you something that would be reliable enough that, I, that I'd be comfortable sharing it right now. Absolutely. Absolutely understandable. Well, Michael, where can folks head if they have questions or want to keep following along with this journey so that they can be some of the first producers to get this technology when it does roll out? Sure. Rantizo.com, R-A-N-T-I-Z-O.com. And our Twitter and Facebook is Rantizo Sprays. So we've got a pretty active Twitter presence um, and, and doing that on Facebook as well. And uh, we get out to a lot of, of events. I was just down in Boca Raton at the Ag Retailers Association. We're working with, uh, with Stein Seed and presenting at a lot of their upcoming events in Bloomington, uh, Illinois, and Minneapolis. And then I'll be in Indianapolis uh, next weekend, uh, next week as well, at the Farm Tech Journal um, uh, uh, Expo that they have. So uh, we're, we're out there and out displaying what we've got. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Well, again, a big thank you to Michael out there for Mantizo. Interesting stuff that they're doing. And like they said, they're not the first company to use drones to spray, but we really haven't seen a large spread of this type of you know, software or hardware systems being used yet in the market. No, and, you know, it's one of those things that that's going to bring drone technology of actual value, an actual ROI on the farm, which mm-hmm. I think will uh, will be a good thing for producers. I do too, Mike. I do too. Well, if you are looking for some value-added content, follow us on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at Ag News Daily, where, well, I'll say Mike is constantly sharing stuff on Twitter especially. But uh, you can interact with us there, comments, questions, concerns, etc. You can also find us on our new website, globalagnetwork.com. We are not the only podcast to be hosted there. We've got a ton of great podcast constituents as well, so I encourage you to check those out too. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.